Stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, visit www.3cr.org.au. Because we got the alternative energy right. nuclear free autonomy. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hi, my name's Mara. This episode of the Radioactive Show was recorded and produced in Taiwan and on Wurundjeri land for 3CR Melbourne. In September 2019, I was incredibly fortunate to attend the 30th No Nukes Asia Forum in Taiwan. Approximately 100 people attended, including representatives from Taiwan, Japan, China, Korea, Mongolia, Vietnam, India, Turkey, Kashmir, the Philippines, the USA and Australia. Annalise Llewellyn, Associate Professor in East Asian Languages and Cultural Studies at the University of California, gave a presentation on the proposed radioactive waste facility at Yucca Mountain in Nevada. I was struck by the similarities between the Yucca Mountain project and the Australian Federal Government's push to site a radioactive waste facility in South Australia. The main difference seems to be that in the USA, they've got a bad treaty with the traditional owners of the land in question, whereas here in Australia, we have no treaty at all. But the problems are very similar. On this episode of The Radioactive Show, we hear the presentation that Dr Llewellyn gave at the No Nukes Asian Forum. Then we'll hear an update on the Australian situation as the federal government's consultation period has just closed. Let's hear from Dr Annalise Llewellyn now. So it, it is a tremendous honour to be here today. Um, I want to first acknowledge the um, traditional peoples of this uh, nation of Taiwan. Um, I'm very honoured to be here and um, I myself am not Indigenous, but I've been very fortunate to... Um, spend a lot of time and learn from the indigenous peoples across Asia and in my own uh, state of California in the U.S., the Chumash people, and um, I uh, bring greetings from them. So thank you so much. And I would also like to say huge thanks to um, Fuyung Yu um, and also all of the folks from uh, Taiwan Environmental Protection Union who've done such tremendous work, and of course, NNAF, without, um, without whom none of us would be here, and all of your tremendous work over the years. I'm super grateful. Um, so today I was asked to speak about uh, Yucca Mountain uh, Nuclear Waste Repository in the U.S., and I have to um, say in the beginning that I've been working in India and Japan for the last uh, uh, four, three or four years, so this is certainly not my specialty, but I did have a great opportunity to speak with Mr. Ian Zabarte and Mr. Joe Kennedy, who are two of the major leaders of this movement to resist um, the plans to revive Yucca Mountain as a nuclear waste uh, repository. So I'm going to be um, telling their story, and they um, have encouraged me to share it with you. They want you to know about their story. So um, I want to start out and mention that uh, this this land um, belongs to the Western Shoshone and the Paiute uh, peoples, and for them, this land is called Noyene Sugobia. It is not Nevada. It is also not the United States government. And the really important thing to understand is under U.S. Uh, and uh, Western Shoshone Treaty, this land does not belong to the U.S. government. The U.S. government is an invader in this land, a colonial invader. So under the 1863 Treaty of Ruby Valley, the U.S. government um, recognized this area, all of this area as the Western Shoshone homeland. Land has never been ceded or loaned to the U.S. government, so it's quite unusual um, among treaty laws uh, for uh, native nations, uh, indigenous peoples in the United States, this situation. The other, I wanted to start with the Western Shoshone perspective first because it's important to understand 
their relationship with the land and what the land means to them. So Yucca Mountain has always been their home um, for many thousands of years. The land for them is sacred. Um, it's ex also extremely biodiverse. I think a lot of people, including the U.S. government, tend to look at this land and see only a desert, a very dry, arid desert with no water. But in fact, um, it is a very different place. It's extremely biodiverse. It has some of the oldest living plant forms in the entire um, continent of North America, um, specifically the creosote bush in the top. The oldest one is known to be uh, almost 12,000 years old, um, and it makes tremendous medicine. So this is a very important plant for a lot of indigenous peoples across uh, the western U.S. And of course the bristlecone pine, also um, up to 5,000 years old. So these are very important lands. So for the Shoshone people, um, Yucca Mountain is known as serpent swimming westward. Um, and they describe the land in this way. Yucca Mountain and the surrounding lands are at the core of cultural identity. Through living in this land for thousands of years, the Western Shoshone people are now bound to this place and it defines, it defines us. So um, it is a seamless, part of a seamless sacred landscape that is known in the Shoshone language as Noya Sugobia. And I just wanted to also point out that I'll talk a little bit more about, it's not only Yucca Mountain, but the U.S. Department of Defense has basically taken over this um, entire piece of Nevada. So the, I just want to point out that there's this um, quite a wide range of um, indigenous settlements, native people settlements, all around this area. So this is, this is by no means, um, this is not empty land. It is not, um, you know, terra nullius, as the argument goes. And it's really important to to recognize the presence, the historical and continued presence of native peoples on this land and the history of their subjection to um, settler colonialism and being moved again and again and again uh, over the years. And the other, I forgot to mention that um, Yucca Mountain and this entire area, but especially around the Yucca Mountain area, is a source of pure water um, for not only for the Paiute and Western Shoshone people, but really for all of um, that area and extending to Las Vegas. So this is very important, uh, a very important place. Not only are we talking about nuclear waste, we're also, also talking about uh, nuclear testing in this area. The Yucca Mountain project um, officially extends back to, in terms of it's being targeted as for nuclear waste, it extends back to 1982 um, when the US Congress um, uh, legislated the a Nuclear Waste Policy Act um, to essentially begin the search for a deep geological repository for nuclear waste storage and isolation. And it's important also to mention that we're talking about waste streams not only from commercial nuclear reactors, but also from military applications as well as medical, uh, medical uses of nuclear uh, as well. So that sort of just basically the entire bunch of nuclear waste in the US. And initially the plan was to have one site on the west coast and one site on the east coast. Somehow that got abandoned along the way. Um, and ultimately in 87, Yucca Mountain is designated as the uh, the site for all nuclear waste. Um, in 2002, uh, Bush approved the repository. As was just mentioned, actually President Obama was um, responding to the concerns of both scientists and environmentalists, but also listening to the Western Shoshone, very strong voices of opposition, um, who many of them have been sounding the alarms on this for more than 30 years. Um, we're going back, you know, another generation that have been working on this issue. Um, so President Obama responded to that and, and realized that this was actually not a viable site, and so he shut down the project. However, that was 2009, and now 10 years later, we're in a very different era in U.S. politics, as I'm, I'm very sorry to, uh, to say. 
So one of the major one of the major concerns about Yucca Mountain, the reason it's not uh, viable, is because it is not dry, um, and this has been a problem with a lot of deep geological repositories, as I'm aware of. But they um, put a what was called a heater blanket. So they dug the tunnel that I showed you the picture of a minute ago. They placed a heater blanket um, within the core of the tunnel inside the mountain, kept it there for two years, and heated up the temperature to about 400 degrees which is about what they estimated they could anticipate um, how hot it would get. And essentially that um, unleashed a tremendous amount of water in the rocks and it started raining inside the tunnel. That's how wet it was. So you look at the desert and you think there's no water there, but it didn't take much for them to produce rain inside the tunnel. So it is not, not dry. And so what they determined from that is that the Department of Energy would need to install titanium drip shields, which are extremely expensive pieces of equipment, and again, the timeline, like we're looking at, you know, 24,000 years or longer. Um, and so the, the Western Shoshone said, you know, basically, we've done our best to preserve this land for the last 10,000 years. We've, we're going to do our best to ensure that we continue looking after it for the next 10,000 years, and no, no repository is going in our land. That's their position. And then uh, another sort of, uh, these are also concerns that many of you have discussed so Yucca Mountain, it's the type of rock is uh, called welded tuft. It's susceptible to cracking. It's not entirely solid rock. There, it is very much a seismically active zone. Again, we're not talking like level eight Richter scale earthquakes. They're generally um, 2.5 and greater. But again, over 600 earthquakes within a you know 20 year period is is several earthquakes too many, I would say. Um, and then you've got you know 26 fault lines running through the region, and it's also volcanically active as well. So these are volcanoes that have a history um, of as recently as 7,000 years ago being active in the region. Um, these are some of the major concerns. Of course, another issue is the transportation of the waste. Um, and there's Leona Mar Morgan in um, working with the DNA community has been very active in their um, anti-Iranian mining, but also in the no haul. Or, excuse me, the whole no campaign because she's very concerned about, you know, how do you safely get this waste there? If we're talking about all the waste from Maine all the way up to Washington State, all the way to California and the South, all the way to Florida, you know, all of the nuclear reactor waste from the entire country coming across, it's just, it's just a disaster sort of waiting to happen. So it's really not appropriate. Okay, so nuclear waste. So this is clearly another theme that we just heard about from Australia um, with your presentation. It's, it's unfortunately, it's so it runs through all of this. Um, so, and again, this question of you know who is actually benefiting from the the energy, the electricity that's being produced. So, Mr. Zabarte told me um, he remembers he and his people had to physically carry the electric poles by themselves into their communities and string up the poles by you know on their own. Nobody was providing that for them. So they're not benefiting from any of this nuclear power that's being produced. It's all going to, you know, major metropolises and this kind of thing. But so Yucca Mountain, the sort of logic behind why Yucca Mountain was, was desirable or seemed suitable was that it was marked as a desert. Deserts are often seen as being wastelands or wastelandable. It's, uh, it makes sense to sort of dump your trash there because it's already a wasteland. It's kind of the logic, right? Um, and again, this sort of logic that it's terra nullis. If you just completely erase the indigenous people on the land, there's no, uh, there's no obstacle. And, and once you've silenced them, and that's really what a lot of the history of settler colonialism in, in the U.S. Uh, tells us is that there's been a great effort to erase indigenous presence on the land in the West, especially. Um, and then finally, because you've already, you know, destroyed a big chunk of the land through these Department of Defense projects in the Nevada test site and other 
military projects. There's also drone, there's a drone testing or flight range uh, nearby. When we went there last summer, we drove right by this huge drone sort of testing zone, which was pretty uh, overwhelming to see. So the logic is that if all of that is already in place, then we can just sort of add Yucca Mountain, what's the, the conflict? But of course, um, this is not faring well with the local communities. So you have um, essentially 150, excuse me, 115 uh, nuclear reactors in 30 U.S. states from which the waste uh, would flow. You have waste streams from all of these communities flowing directly to Yucca Mountain. Um, and again, as Mr. Zabarte has pointed out, the profits stay with the local communities who are getting some kind of, you know, a little bit of subsidies from the nuclear reactors, but predominantly with the operators and the, the nuclear um, companies. And the mafia, as, as you said earlier, the global nuclear mafia. Okay, and so um, I'm, I'm really um, sorry to say, but uh, unfortunately we've had, you know, I, I have to say I feel quite a huge burden being here as the only kind of U.S. representative. I'm certainly not a representative, but, um, but there's, uh, I can't even really begin to speak about the sort of incredible atrocities that um, the recent administration has unleashed on the world. And all I can say is that people are doing their best to stand up and raise their voices and say, not in my name. Um, and this is another case where we have to really speak very strongly, unite again against this project, um, not in our name. So Obama ended the project in 2009, but the Trump administration, um, under, uh, under the Trump administration, Rick Perry, Secretary of Energy, Energy has revived the project, um, set aside $116 million to restart the licensing for Yucca Mountain. Um, there's a number of arguments, you know, the infrastructure is already in place, you already have the tunnel, we should save taxpayers money, um, so why don't we just use that for our nuclear waste repository. But the state of Nevada has really stood up and said, absolutely not. We already determined back in 1992 that this is not a suitable location. You cannot prevent groundwater contamination, and you cannot look after that, um, anticipate, you know, what's going to happen for 10,000 to a million years. Um, there's... You know, and essentially it doesn't even meet the EPA's minimum standards for geological disposal because, you, again, you cannot guarantee the safety of the water because there's a chance that if the tunnel heats up because of the, the sort of residual, the ambient heat, that it could crack the rocks, release the water, and then you'd have the potential of this radioactive waste seeking, seeping into the, the aquifer. This year uh, in May, they had a, uh, a, week, a weekend uh, uh, prayer camp but again, um, Mr. Johnny Bob was, was leading that, and there was a, a march, a peace march, uh, on behalf of uh, opposing the Yucca Mountain Project. So the resistance is very much ongoing, um, and it's it's not only the Western Shoshone and the Paiute people, but there's community members who are also um, from other areas, um, Southern California as well as Nevada, who are uniting with them and opposing this project. So. I wanted to say a couple things about um, another aspect of environmental racism, which is, of course, weapons testing. The Western Shoshone people say, you know, we have tremendous respect for the suffering of the Hibaksha from Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but we, we have never officially had anyone declare war against us, but yet we are the most bombed people on Earth. We've suffered 1,000 nuclear tests. It was so frequent that between 51 and 1982, nuclear weapons were detonated every three weeks. I mean, can you imagine? It's just, it's just an incredible number. Um, and this is not only the U.S. government, the U.K. as well. Um, much smaller number, but nevertheless. So U.S. Army um, military personnel were basically turned into human guinea pigs. 
they were forced to dig trenches and then get in the trenches and watch the nuclear tests be detonated. And my uncle um, contracted, he was also part of that group um, when he was serving in the army, and he contracted uh, stomach cancer, uh, you know, four decades later, but he died from stomach cancer in 2009, and we're pretty certain that this is why he was forced to be there. So, so again, I mean, it's not only indigenous peoples, it's, you know, the military, it's just a huge range of people that are being exposed to this kind of um, really kind of human rights abuse in the name of military, uh, the military-industrial complex. So I want to just say briefly a couple things about how, specifically how for Shoshone people the impacts are different and more, quite more devastating. And that is because as traditional peoples, their relationship with the land is very different from the settler relationship, right? So they have a, um, a long-standing a traditional practice of collecting what is called dead wood, dried wood or fallen timber, and much of that wood has been irradiated because of these nuclear tests. And they burn that um, for you know, ceremony, for sweat lodges, they burn it for heating their homes, they use it in cooking, um, and of course because of that it makes them much more vulnerable to health impacts. And for many, many years, um, the community was not being educated about uh, the dangers of this. And the other aspect is that um, staple foods for them include rabbit. Rabbit is really um, a really key food for them, as well as deer, antelope, elk, insects, lizards, and yucca blossoms. And all of these um, beings absorb radiation from the atmosphere. So um, both Mr. Zabarte and Mr. Kennedy told me um, shared with me uh, very uh, tragic stories about the cancers and the health impacts on their own families, and many of their family members have died um, as a result of this. Okay. So finally, just one last uh, point. I wanted to share their vision. Their vision for the future is they really want to have not only a treaty relationship that's not being honored with the U.S. government, they want to have sovereignty. They want to have an independent um, relationship with the U.S. government and sovereignty over their own land so they can very firmly say no. Uh, to nuclear um, waste in their country. And they said, they basically said, if, if you don't care for Appa, the creator, the land will be poisoned. We must protect creation and these lifeways for the next 10,000 years. Our lifeways will continue. Western Shoshone people walk in two worlds, both the settler world and our ancestral world. And our people are dynamic, and we still gather on the land today. And basically, we will continue. Thank you. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We just heard the presentation about the proposed radioactive waste facility at Yucca Mountain in Nevada, given to the No Nukes Asia Forum in Taiwan by Dr Anne-Elise Llewellyn, Associate Professor in East Asian Languages and Cultural Studies at the University of California. Now we'll have an update on the Australian Federal Government's push to site a national radioactive waste facility in South Australia. The federal government has said that it will not impose a radioactive waste facility on an unwilling community and that will only cite one where there is broad community support for the proposal. They have not been forthcoming, however, about how that support will be gauged or weighted. When making his decision, Federal Resources Minister Matt Canavan will consider results of the recently concluded community ballots, business and neighbour surveys, traditional owners and public submission. The Kimber ballot concluded on the 7th of November – Minister Canavan has previously said in Parliament that 65% support would meet the government's requirement for broad community support. The department's former principal advisor, Bruce Wilson, said the minister would need at least that 65%, if not more, before proceeding. 
The government is claiming 62% support from the ballot of Kimber residents. However, this is me- measured by the number of yes votes against the number of ballot papers admitted to scrutiny. If measured as the number of yes votes against the number of eligible voters, the result is just 54.8%. Only 452 out of 824 eligible voters voted in favour of the facility. The government's claim of 62% is inaccurate, yet still does not meet their 65% target. A separate ballot was undertaken by the Bangala Aboriginal Determination Corporation to gauge the support of the native title holders of the Kimber area. Not a single returned ballot paper was in favour of the facility. The community ballot in the Flinders Ranges concluded on the 12th of December with 53% of the community voting against the controversial proposal. On Friday the 13th of December, the ABC reported that Federal Minister for Resources Matt Canavan said that Wallabadina Station in the Flinders Ranges will no longer be considered for a national waste facility. Minister Canavan is expected to make a decision on the two sites in Kimber in early 2020. The radioactive show will keep you up to date as news comes to hand. Now we'll hear from Regina McKenzie, Adna Mutna woman who's been fighting to stop the waste dump being imposed on her country. Hi Regina, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Congratulations. Thanks. I'm happy um, that the waste dump's not going to come here to the Flinders Range, the Bandiuda or Wallabadina. But there's a part of me that's also sad about um, Kimber. Yeah, exactly, because they've had the same fight as you for all these years. Yes, and I know exactly the same. Uh, I know the the heartache and the hurt that they're feeling and the stress that they're feeling. Yeah, is there anything you'd like to say, um, a message to the minister maybe? I'd like to give a message to the minister, to um, to Minister Matt Canavan. Um, I believe that... From the start, this whole consultation of the waste dump has been flawed. Uh, they didn't take into consideration the traditional owners. And here in the Flinders Range, they didn't even take into consideration of the pastoralists. It was um, something that, um, thing, you know, they talked at us, not to us. The thing that I'd like to pass off to any government, whether it be a Liberal government, Labor government or whatever, you know, when you come to people with issues such as a nuclear waste dump, don't talk at the people. Talk to the people. Um, and the fight's not over, is it? Because, I mean, they've done a lot of damage to, with site desecration. And so just because the site is off the table doesn't mean that the government um, gets away with how they've treated you and your people and your country. Yes, the, the, the contempt that they treated the uh, arguments, especially Atla was shameful. Absolutely. It was, um, you know, and the the gaslighting from within the government workers was disgusting. Um, the total disrespect that was shown to the people who said no. Yeah, the disrespect was, it was disgusting. Yeah, the you personal know, costs um, have been really high to yeah. your family, your community... I don't, un- I don't know that the government understand the damage that's been done. The, it's the mental well-being of the people of the areas. Yeah. You know, not just us guys that say no, but the people who, say, who said yes, especially here in the Flinders Ranges. You know, everybody has their right to what they believe in. You know, I, don't, I don't disrespect the people who said yes because that was their right mm. to say yes. But, you know, it was my right to say no as well. Absolutely. 
What would you like to see happen next, Regina? What I'd like to see next is that they stop the whole consultation of this thing. Yeah. They take it back to the drawing board and they work out a better way. I know that they say that they need a place. I know that they say that thing. But is they are not looking for a home for low-level waste dump. They are looking for a home for the intermediate waste. That is what they are looking for. And they're trying to get it in somewhere. You know, I've got a lot of respect for the people who fought with us. We could not have done this without the help that we have got, you know. And I'd like to say to everybody, all the people who who supported us in this fight, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I'll thank you on behalf of the Yatta that you all helped save. That's so nice. Thank you so much, Regina. And I know, because I've seen it, that you've been fighting hard and strong all this time. So well done to you as well. You know, it's, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take a lot to just say, hey, let's look at it a different way. Save a lot of money, Edward. Mm. You know, the amount of money that they've put into this flawed process is disgusting. And, you know, they should be account- held accountable for that. Yeah, absolutely. They should be held accountable for the amount of money that they've wasted on a flawed process. Yeah, that's right. They've spent millions, literally, of dollars on this and all they've done is cause harm to people and country. Yep. And not just only to the Aboriginal people, but to the non-Aboriginal people. Yeah. What they've done done to Kimber is disgusting. Mm. What they've done to Hawker and Corn is disgusting. It's going to take a long time for people to heal from this. Yeah. It's, there might be irreversible damage. Yeah. You know what I mean? There might there are relationships that will never, ever be the same again. You know? That's the thing that this government is guilty of. Mm. Tearing apart families, tearing apart small regional towns. Yeah. And That's what they're guilty of. Yep, and they need to be and held accountable. That's right. Regina, we're out of time, unfortunately. We could talk about this for days, I know. Yep. But thank you so much for um, talking to us, especially since we only just got the result about the ballot yesterday. And today we found out that Walla Bedina in the Flinders Ranges is off the list. Is off yep. the list. And, it's really good news. Hopefully, hopefully Kimber will come off the list as well. It will. It will. They do yep. not have the support there that the government needs. Yep. Thanks a lot, Mara. Thanks thank so you. much, Regina. Thank Congratulations. You for all the help that you've done. You're all welcome. Right. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye. We just heard from Regina McKenzie, who's been fighting to protect her country from a radioactive waste dump and has just learnt that the site near her home is no longer being considered by the Minister. Congratulations to Regina, her family and the amazing members of the Flinders Local Action Group who have been so staunch for the last four years. We will of course continue to support the Kimber community in preventing the dump being sited there. That's it for today's show. We've heard about the search for sites for radioactive waste disposal in two continents, Yucca Mountain in the USA and of course our own Australian experience. Thanks for listening to The Radioactive Show. You can download the podcast of this program at www.3cr.org.au slash radioactive. You can also download Annalise's presentation so you can see the images that she refers to in her talk. To stay up to date on the Australian Waste Dump campaign, go to www.fo.org.au slash nuclear underscore free underscore 
SA. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was produced with the support of Friends of the Earth's Nuclear Free Collective for 3CR and it's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues.